Welcome to the CJC Weekly Bible Study, where CJC stands for Complete Jesus Christ. If your perspective of Jesus is based only on teachings from the New Testament, then your understanding is incomplete. Regarding what we often call the Old Testament, Jesus himself said, These are the very scriptures that testify about me. So won't you join us today in our study where we esteem the newer and the older testaments alike. I'm your host, Jeff Smith, and currently we're working our way verse by verse through the first book of the Bible, Genesis. Today's episode is part two of a lesson that we began last time and didn't quite have a chance to finish it. Then pulling it all together, what do we have? Whether you're a Western way of thinking person or a Hebrew way of thinking person, it is God who made the heavens and the earth. Every single major section of the Old Testament, every single major section of the Tanakh, all major sections of the New Testament, speaking about God being the creator of the heavens and the earth. You can't just put Genesis chapter 1, verse 1 in a box and shove it to the side and say that's an aberration. The rest of the Bible wouldn't support that. As you entertain ideas of what? An alternative like what? The theory of evolution? If you're going to believe what the Bible teaches, the Bible does not teach a theory of evolution, nor does it teach something that is compatible with the theory of evolution. The Bible clearly teaches that it is God the Lord who made the heavens and the earth, and it's testified to by every single major section of the scriptures. The teaching of the Bible is that there is a God in heaven. He's a one supreme God. He's the maker of heaven and earth. And every major section of the Bible, Old Testament and New, all of the major sections of the Holy Scriptures teach That we are here in this place that we live, this planet we call Earth is here because of the creative work of this master creator. That he created the heavens and that he created the earth. Now pause with me for a moment here. Revelation chapter 4 verse 11. Not only does that address the who of creation, but you can also look in that passage and you can see a glimpse into the how The how of creation. The how did God create the heavens and the earth? Revelation chapter 4 verse 11. It says, how? By your will. By whose will? By God's will. That verse ends with, and by your will they exist and were created. How did God create the heavens and the earth? By his will. How does that work? (laughs) All right, let's look at a couple other passages. How about Psalm chapter 33 verses 6 through 9? How? How did God create the heavens and the earth? Verse 6, by the word of the Lord. By the word of the Lord, the heavens were made. By the breath, by the breath, that's the ruach of his mouth. By the word of the Lord, the heavens were made by the breath of his mouth. How did he create the heavens and the earth? By the word and by the breath. And then in verse 9, it says this, for he spoke and it was done. He commanded and it stood fast. You know, it's interesting. He spoke, he commanded. Verse 6, by the word. The word here seems to be something that we would, I guess, expect to see in the beginning, all right? We would expect that in the beginning was the word of the Lord God. According to this verse, that's how he did it, right? That the word of the Lord played such a role that that's how God Almighty created the heavens and the earth, by the word and by the breath. So like I said, we would expect that in the beginning was the word of the Lord. Let's look at another passage here. Hebrews chapter 11, verse 3. 
Hebrews chapter 11, verse 3 says this, By faith we understand that the worlds were framed by the word of God. There it is again, that word, the word of God. That the worlds were framed by the word of God so that the things which are seen were not made of things which are invisible. Hmm. You know, that's interesting too. That verse seems to suggest that the world was created out of nothing. It wasn't as if God took something and made the world out of it. It seems to suggest he spoke and it happened and there it was. Here we are. That by his word, it just came to be. So that the things which are seen were not made of things which are visible. But anyway, we see in that verse, Hebrews eleven three, it's that word of God thing that comes up again. So once again, we are confronted with this idea that the word of the Lord seems to have played a big role in the beginning because that's how God created the heavens and the earth. I wish we could find out more about this word of the Lord, though. I wish we could find out more about the word of God. Some of you know where I'm going with this. Turn to John chapter 1, verses 1 through 3. John chapter 1, verses 1 through 3 says this. In the beginning was the word. Well, that's what we would just expect just by those verses we read right there. We expected that in the beginning was the word, so that comes as no surprise. It's nice to find a passage that deals with that. Verses 1 through 3. In the beginning was the word, and the word was with God. That's just what we would expect. It sounds like the word was with God. We see that from those passages we just read. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. And the Word was God. Now, I know there's a translation out there. There's one version that says, and the Word was a God. But that committee that decided to put that there actually inserted a word that doesn't belong in the translation. But aside from them, all of the other translations that I'm aware of say, and the Word was God. And the Word was God. So here we have John chapter 1, verses 1 through 3. In the beginning was the Word, just like we would expect. And the Word was with God, just like we would expect. And the Word was God. And that's kind of a strange idea. How do we understand that? Let's look further. Verse 2. He was in the beginning with God. So now we've got this identification of the Word, that phrase that was God, that it's a he as a person, as opposed to a concept or an idea. So here we have this phrase being the word, and the word was in the beginning. The word was with God. The word was God. The word was in the beginning with God and is described as a he, a personage, if you will. And then verse 3 tells us all things were made through him. Through whom? Through the word. And without him, this is the word still, nothing was made that was made. Did I make a mistake in reading that? No, I didn't. And without him, nothing was made that was made. So who is this, the word? Who is the word? John goes on to help us out with that. John chapter 1, if you were to jump down to verse 14 through 18, you would read this. Verse 14, and the word became flesh and dwelt among us. That's weird. Somebody that was in the beginning with God, that had the status of God, all things were made through him. Without him, nothing was made that was made. It's a personage, all right? It's a person described as a he, right? And here we have in verse 14 that whoever this was became flesh and dwelt among us. And we beheld his glory. Who's the we? John is writing this. John is saying we. 
When did John live? This is about 2,000 years ago. He's describing himself, included in a group of people that we don't have named yet, as beholding the glory of the word that became flesh and dwelt among us. The word became flesh and dwelt among us, and we beheld his glory, the glory as of the only begotten of the Father, full of grace and truth. John bore witness. Now, this is John, the disciple, writing of John the Baptist. John bore witness, this is John the Baptist, bore witness of him and cried out, saying, This was he of whom I said, he who comes after me is preferred before me. So apparently John the Baptizer had contact with him at some point. In fact, John the Baptizer tells the crowds, This was he of whom I said, He who comes after me is preferred before me, for he was before me. So John the disciple is writing this down. John the Baptizer had connections with him. Both of these men having some contact with this word that became flesh. Verse 16, And of his fullness we have all received, and grace for grace. Verse 17, For the law was given through Moses, but grace and truth came through Jesus Christ. No one has seen God at any time. The only begotten Son who is in the bosom of the Father, he has declared him. The word is Jesus Christ. This personage that was in the beginning with God, this person that was God, this person through whom all things were made, and without him nothing was made that was made, is Jesus Christ, the only begotten Son of the Father. It's Jesus It's Jesus. So when we're talking about the who of creation, who created the heavens and the earth, we find in attendance with God Almighty, the Word playing a huge role, and the Word turns out to be Jesus of Nazareth, Jesus Christ. Hebrews chapter 1, verses 10 through 12, concentrating mostly just on verse 10 here, it says of Jesus, it says this, And you, Lord, that's referring to Jesus. If you look at the context, it's Jesus. And you, Lord, in the beginning laid the foundation of the earth. Jesus being God and yet with God, that sounds kind of like a plurality, doesn't it? I mean, he's with God, but he's also God. You have Jesus and God Almighty being plural and yet both God. Colossians 1, verses 16 through 18 says this of Jesus. For by him, that's speaking of Jesus, for by him all things were created that are in heaven and that are on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or dominions or principalities or powers, all things were created through him and for him. And he is before all things, and in him all things consist. And he is the head of the body of the church, who is the beginning, the firstborn from the dead, that in all things he may have the preeminence. The context is clear. It's speaking of Jesus there. You know, I find it interesting, that verse, it talks about in him all things consist. There's a thing called Coulomb's Law. It's in particle physics, where you have the nucleus of an atom, and you have the protons that have a positive charge, and neutrons that have a neutral charge, and you have this, what they call, atomic glue. It's also known as colossus without which matter would not exist. You have these charged particles, these protons and neutrons and electrons, and they're supposed to be repelling each other, but something's holding them all together. And I can't help but think, "Mm, could could it be Jesus? It says, in him all things consist. There's another version that says, in him all things are held together. I can't help but thinking of that every time I read this verse. Notice that Colossians chapter 1, verses 16 through 18, not only does it have something to say as to the who of creation, right? We looked at verse 16, 
for by him, speaking of Jesus, for by him all things were created. That's the who of creation. We have Jesus being addressed there as the who of creation. But we also have an address in that passage as to the how of creation. Where's the how? It's in the end of verse 16. All three things were created through him. So there's part of the passage that has something to do with the how of creation. We also see a why of creation. The why of creation, all things were created through him and why? For him. All things were created through him and why? For him. All things were created through him and for him. For him. All right? For him. Why this creation? For him. How about Isaiah chapter 45, 18, speaking also about the why of creation. Isaiah 45, 18 ends with this phrase, he formed it to be inhabited. To be inhabited. Why? Why this creation? To be inhabited. So what have we seen so far? Well, chapter 1, verse 1, in the beginning God created the heavens and the earth. We have a testimony by the book of Genesis, chapter 1, verse 1, that the heavens and the earth were created by God. But then as we look deeper, we find that we can't just segregate that verse, that passage, and say, that doesn't fit my worldview, therefore I can set it aside and maybe I can package it up in some nice package as if to say it's just poetry. And we find that, no, it's not. It's in historical narrative. But even if it was, even if it was in poetry, we would have Genesis chapter 1 representing the entire section of the law that God created the heavens and the earth. But even if we would want to leave it and think that that's just one aberration out of the Bible, what do we find? We find that every single major section of the scriptures testify that God created the heavens and the earth. That this is not an aberration that we just find in Genesis, but it's the teaching of the Bible found in every single major section. Whether you have a Western way of partitioning up your Old Testament scriptures or a Hebrew way of thinking and partitioning up the Tanakh. And it also includes every major section of the New Testament, all espousing and lifting up the idea that God created the heavens and the earth. And then when we talk about the who of creation, we find out it's not just God Almighty, but there is an attendance, this phrase, the word, all right, that we find in those other passages. And we're going to run into this more as we study through the first chapters. We're going to find how powerful the word is. And God said, and God said, and God said, and God said, and God said. It's going to show up as we go through the studying. What is that? It's God speaking. It's the word of God. And what do we find the word of God? It's actually a person. It's actually the person of Jesus Christ, the only begotten of the Father. That he was in the beginning with God and he was God. We have testimony by the Bible of now two, two in one. We have this Elohim that's a plural, but it's treated as a singular. How do we reconcile that with God is one? Here we have testimony of scripture. So far we're up to two, two in one. Jesus Christ and God Almighty. How about the next verse? What does the next verse say? The next verse says, The earth was without form and void, and darkness was on the face of the deep. And the Spirit of God was hovering over the face of the waters. Let's look at a few of these words here. All right. The earth was without form. The earth was without form. What I want you to do is I want you to think of pizza dough. All right. A ball of pizza dough. I went to a pizza place one time where you could actually see the person start with some dough, right? A ball of dough. And they end up taking that ball of dough and they make it into something, right? And it ends up taking on a form that's pretty different from what they started with. But when they started, when they started with that ball of dough, it was not yet in the form that it eventually would have. 
So I want you to think in these verses here, when it says in verse 2 that the earth was without form, he's starting with a ball of dough. I mean, it's like a pizza dough. And what, what happens with that pizza maker? He shapes it, right? He makes it into what he wants it to become. He makes it into the pizza crust, all right? So when I saw it as a ball of dough, though, it wasn't yet in the form of a crust. And I want you to also think when we run across that word void, the earth was without form and void, just like that pizza dough. It's void when you don't have toppings on it yet, right? It's going to have the toppings. They just haven't been put on yet. It's going to be a pizza crust. It's not yet. It's just a ball of dough. So at least for me, that's what I think of when I read chapter 1, verse 2. The earth was without form and void. It just means he's still working with it. It's not done yet. All right. The earth was without form and void. Form and void. In Hebrew, the word that's translated into English form, that's tohu. And the English word void is a translation of the Hebrew word bohu. So you've got this combination of tohu and bohu. All right. So without form, tohu is also translated in other places in the Bible as emptiness or nothingness or vanity or confusion. Without form or the wilderness or wasteland, desolate or an empty place. That's tohu. All right. And then bohu, this word that's translated into English as void. This is emptiness or a waste or a void. So the earth was without form and void. The earth was tohu and bohu. And you find combinations of that in other places in Scripture, but we've really touched on it, basically all we need to right there. The earth was without form and void, and darkness, darkness was on the face of the deep. Some people read into this word here, darkness, as if there's something evil about it. But really, there's not. As you read through it, it's just an indication of the absence of light. It's not saying anything about evil or something nefarious about this darkness. And darkness was on the face of the deep. The deep is speaking of waters. When they run across this word here that's translated as deep and talking about the waters, some people will want to make something out of that as if there's something evil about the waters as well. But that's just kind of straining the translation. ESV study Bible notes say, There's no conflict in Genesis or in the rest of the Bible between God and the deep since the deep readily does God's bidding. For example, chapter 7, verse 11, chapter 8, verse 2, Psalm 33, 7, and Psalm 104, 6. And then you have what? The next major idea is what? The Spirit of God. The earth was without form and void, and darkness was on the face of the deep. And the Spirit of God, this is the Ruach, the Spirit of God was hovering over the face of the waters, the Ruach. But if you remember, if we look back just a little ways, when we were talking about how did God create the heavens and the earth, one of the passages we looked at was Psalm 33. One of the verses we looked at was verse 6. Psalm 33, verse 6, By the word of the Lord the heavens were made by the breath of his mouth. You remember we looked at that verse, and we emphasized mainly the word. That's what we were working on at that point. But you notice in that second part of that verse, it's not just the word, but it's also by the breath of his mouth, by the breath, the ruach. All right, And here we have that same word in Hebrew, the Ruach, appearing in verse 2. And it's translated into English as the Spirit of God. The Spirit of God, this is the Hebrew word Ruach, was hovering over the face of the waters. Ruach is the Hebrew word that can be translated as Spirit or Spirit of God. And it's a word that can also be translated or carries with it the concept of wind. All right, So it's usually the context that helps the translation committees try to decide which way to go with this. All right. So here we have translated as the Spirit of God. Most of your translations are going to go with Spirit of God as opposed to wind. Another place that it shows up, and this verse is kind of interesting as well, it lends itself to this discussion. Job chapter 26, verses 13 and 14, in particular verse 13, it says, By 
his spirit, he adorned the heavens. Speaking of who, whose spirit? It's God. By God's spirit, by his spirit, he being God, he adorned the heavens. And so it's kind of interesting to see in this passage that it sounds like the spirit of God, the Ruach, is also involved in the creation account. Well, it looks like it was his job to adorn the heavens. All right. So here we have what? We have the participation in creation by God Almighty. And that jumps out to you from Genesis chapter 1, verse 1. But as you look at the whole testimony of the Bible, what do you find? You also find Jesus. Jesus is there with God and was God. And here you have his spirit, right, is hovering over the waters in verse 2. The Ruach is what? It's his spirit. It's the spirit of God. So what do you have? You have God Almighty. You have his only begotten son, Jesus. And you have his spirit. You have these three here. God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit. Three in one. Does that sound like a word we've already touched on in this study so far? That word Trinity. That is part of what lends to a discussion of the Trinity. The discussion of the Trinity is a, a much longer discussion than we're having right here. But this is just an encapsulation, if you will, just a really brief touch on what the Trinity looks like and how the Trinity operates. You've got God who is one, made up of three. God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit. Here's another one, uh, Psalm 33, verse 6, and this was another one that we looked at. By the word of the Lord, the heavens were made, and all the host of them by the breath of his mouth. The Ruach. So you have in the Hebrew way of thinking, this word, this Ruach, carries with it the idea of Spirit of God, and it's the same word that's used to describe breath or wind. All right. There's an interesting discussion I can't help but refer you to. Turn with me, if you will, to John chapter 3, the Gospel of John chapter 3. The Gospel of John chapter 3, where you have this dynamic of the wind and the spirit intermingling in such a way that it becomes the focal point of a conversation between Jesus and a guy named Nicodemus. Nicodemus is a very important figure in the community. He's a member of the leaders of the community, but he's meeting with this radical guy named Jesus that he wants to find out more about him, but he doesn't want to meet with him unless it's going to be in secret. So he meets with Jesus in secret. And well, let me let the text itself tell you as we go, and we'll just look at a few verses. We're, we're starting in John chapter 3, verse 1. There was a man of the Pharisees named Nicodemus, a ruler of the Jews. This man came to Jesus by night, right? He's meeting in secret with him, and said to him, Rabbi, we know that you are a teacher come from God, for no one can do these signs that you do unless God is with him, right? So he's opening by giving some flattering words to Jesus and saying, we know there's something special about you. And it's a way of saying, I know there's something special about you. And the things that you're doing, I mean, they're amazing. They tell me that you're from God. And it's as if he's opening up the door to have a conversation with Jesus, putting it on friendly terms, right? And so Jesus could go in any direction with this conversation. And what does he do? Immediately, this is what happens. Jesus ends up saying, it says, Jesus answered and said to him, I would expect to see something like, well, thank you very much. So what is it that's on your mind, right? That's what I would expect to see. No, that's not what we find here. In verse 3, Jesus answered and said to him, Most assuredly, I say to you, unless one is born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. What? <laughs> Nicodemus didn't ask anything about being born again. All right. That's where Jesus takes it immediately. When the door is open and Jesus can go in any direction, he takes it here about being born again. And it's something that he would say to all of us. He would say to all of us, most assuredly, I say to you, 
Unless one is born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. Verse 4, Nicodemus said to him, How can a man be born when he is old? Can he enter a second time into his mother's womb and be born? Jesus answered and said, Most assuredly, I say to you, unless one is born of water and the Spirit, he cannot enter the kingdom of God. Born of the water and the Spirit, what is that? Born of the water is born of flesh. All right, It's born the natural way. It's being born coming out of your mother's womb. That's what being born of the water is. Born of the Spirit, what is that? It's something completely different. Verse 6, that which is born of the flesh is flesh, and that which is born of the Spirit is spirit. Verse 7, do not marvel that I said to you, you must be born again. Verse 8, the wind blows where it wishes. We were just talking about the Spirit. Did you notice that? We were talking about the Spirit. And now in verse 8, Jesus turns it to a discussion about the wind. Let me tell you something. New Testament was not written in Hebrew. It was written in Greek. But the way of thinking was Hebrew. These are Jewish people. Jesus is Jewish. Nicodemus is Jewish. They're familiar with Hebrew way of thinking. The Hebrew way of thinking is what? The spirit and the wind are one and the same word used to describe these two different things. And so Jesus is using that way of thinking, that familiar pattern of thinking, that familiar illustration that comes from being Hebrew, all right, being Jewish. And they have this discussion where Jesus says the wind blows where it wishes. And you hear the sound of it, but cannot tell where it comes from and where it goes. So is everyone who is born of the Spirit. Jesus has this discussion with Nicodemus in John chapter 3 that carries with it the idea that comes from these passages that we looked at from the Old Testament, from the Tanakh, that has to do with one word being used to describe the Spirit of God as well as the breath of God or wind. And just as in Hebrew we have one word that means spirit and also means wind, and that word being ruach, in Greek, which is the language of the New Testament, and as we see here in John chapter 3, we have one word in the Greek that actually means the same thing as spirit and means the same thing as wind or breath, and that is pneuma. So going back then to Genesis chapter 1, verse 2, the earth was without form and void, and darkness was on the face of the deep, and the Spirit of God was hovering over the waters. Hovering is a word that's used to describe shaking or moving or fluttering over the waters. You'd also find the same Hebrew word being used in the passage Deuteronomy 32.11, also in Jeremiah 23, verse 9, if you want to look deeper at that word for hovering. Hovering over the face of the waters. So I suppose this is a good point to mention that there are people that would write about Genesis chapter 1 that would be quick to point out that a lot of the motifs, a lot of the things that we read about as we're going through this material sound vaguely familiar or very familiar when you compare them side by side with the Babylonian Enuma Elish and sometimes also compared alongside with the myth of Anzu or the Ugaritic Baal epic. All right, here's what I would have to say to that. If the Bible is true... All of mankind, including the societies that ended up producing the Babylonian Enuma Elish, including the society that gave rise to the person who was the author of the myth of Anzu, including the society that gave birth to the writings of the Ugaritic Baal epic, if Genesis is true, all of the people of all of these societies can trace their ancestry back to one common ancestor, Adam and his wife Eve, right? So they would all carry with them what? The oral tradition that would be passed down from Adam. So of course you're going to see similarities because Adam is going to have children who are going to have children who are going to have children. They're going to be passing down the oral traditions to one another and some of those are going to be corrupted. But my proposition to you is if God wanted to speak to us in such a way, would he keep it from becoming corrupted? I'm sure he would. And I'm sure he can and I'm sure he did. And that's what we hold in our hands and we call the Bible. And so what I read in the Bible is the version that's been preserved. 
And the other ones that we see here are versions that were passed down through oral tradition. And like the old game of telephone, there's a little bit of corruption that happens each time it's transmitted. Of course, by the time it's done, it's going to sound somewhat similar. There's going to be a few elements that sound like they came maybe from the same source. I would say that same source is in a true event that happened in history. All right, so let's wrap this up. What are some of the things that we touched on today? Number one, we touched on God created the heavens and the earth and everything in them. And this is not proclaimed just in Genesis, but it's proclaimed in every major section and every genre of the Bible. We also learned that there is no room for evolution. There is no compatibility between the theory of evolution and the clear, plain teaching of the Bible. The clear, plain position of the Bible is that there is a design and there is a designer, there is a creator, and it is God. But we see that God is Elohim. It's a word that's in the plural, but often used as a singular. But in that plurality, what do we have? That the whole teaching of Scripture is that God is one, made up of three. Made up of God the Father, God the Son, which is Jesus, and God the Holy Spirit, that Ruach in Hebrew. And that all three of these are involved in creation. You have God the Father giving the commands that created the visible worlds to be created out of nothing. You have God the Son. Through him all things were made. Without him nothing was made that has been made. And you have God the Holy Spirit that was hovering over the waters and adorning the heavens. Thank you, Lord, for this time. Thank you for your word, the richness, the depth, the treasures to be found. We pray that you would help us to dwell upon these things. We pray that you would prevent the devil from snatching the truth from our minds that we've heard today. And that you would help us instead to meditate on your word and to find the areas in our lives where this might conflict with the paradigm, the worldview that we've been sold. And that you would help us to replace those erroneous ideas with your truth. Thank you for meeting us here. Please bless everyone who hears this message with discernment to be able to discern your truth, your word, your speaking, your message to each of us as individuals and challenge us, Lord, where would you have me to go from here? Thank you. In the name of Jesus, your only begotten Son. Amen.